0: Hello again ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 3 of Hunter Hunted Hybrid Wars. As always, I do hope you've been enjoying this little retelling of the currently work in progress, Hybrid Wars. And as always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can, either at fanfiction.net, archiveofyourown.org or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All your comments and uh, thoughts are always welcome, and I always do enjoy reading them and seeing what you guys are thinking about the retelling here. And if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, check out Stormrider. You know, if big surly dragoness girls, armoured orcs and elves and wizards are your thing, I think it'll be worth a check. And if you do, pop over to ghostnobody.com, pop over to the ghostly link section and pick yourself up a copy of Mortis, my original works. Pick it up at either amazon.com or from smashwords.com. Help support me and keep me doing what I love. Writing alien love stories for you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it. This is just fan fiction, and I keep the Huntresses to myself. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 3. Space Race Report. What have we got? Jack said in a loud voice as he entered the headquarters of the Guardian Corps Intelligence Division. The place was run by all three groups. The hunters, saviours and seekers, each of them contributing people to what they saw as an absolute must. Intelligent gathering and analysis was fundamental to the survival of any civilization. And while clan mason wasn't exactly big enough yet to really be considered as a civilization by most standards, it was certainly on the way, and given that the top players in the clan had all had both combat and military experience of some variety, they all understood it well. Out of the three groups present in the Intelligence HQ, the Seekers made up the smallest number, given that they were the smallest number of all three factions that made up the Guardians to begin with. It had always been Jack's intention to seek out more when the time was right, as Dream Warriors were very rare, and the ones that made up their number so far either came to them from humans or had sought them out on their own through word of mouth from the Ejuta clans. Much to their annoyance, no doubt as... There were less than 50 of them in the entire clan split between the Tamers and the Soul Knights. The operatives in the room, a mixture of Yejuta and Human, all snapped to attention as Jack and Ryan strode in with Annalise and Liam following them. All four in their combat armour. Tick hadn't arrived yet, or her Elif, Undoubtedly Tick would be in a foul mood because she'd lost the bet. All credit to her, she never took that out on Jack when she did lose because she knew that it wasn't fair to resent someone for winning when they t- you took the risk of betting plus she knew the second she did get that she'd never get him to bet with her ever again and she did also enjoy winning didn't mean anyone else was safe though a smartly dressed human male stro- strode up and saluted grand patriarch the captain of the sun skipper called in reporting what he believes to be in a st- stress call it's in an unknown language, but given that it keeps repeating the same sequence over and over again, the one part that they have managed to decipher is a set of alphanumeric digits that appears to be coordinates, and they match where he believes the message is being transmitted from. It's currently outside of our space by a fair way. Approximately 15 light-years, the man said. And we're picking it up 15 light-years away? And that's one hell of a transmitter, Ryan said, glancing up at his father who nodded in agreement. How long do you think it took the message to travel fifteen light years? For all we know it could have been sent thousands of years ago by a dead civilization. Jack said, and the man who carried the rank of Lieutenant t- shook his head. That's the unusual thing, Grand Patriarch. The captain of the Sunskipper wondered the same thing and he hooked it into one of our deep space relay satellites to see where the message was picked up, and to see if he could work it out. How long the message had been travelling according to his calculations, it was simply hours. The message was travelling at incredible speed. They've either got some incredible data compression methods, or they're using an unknown transmission method that somehow operates on all normal bands but can send messages over vast differences in very little time. Either way, Grand Patriarch, I believe it would be worth looking into. The lieutenant said, guiding the small team over to a bank of monitors which showed the message and the algorithms they were using to try and decrypt it. The text itself was odd, like a mixture of symbols and scratches jutting off in every direction. Sort of reminded Jack of Yejuta a bit, but with mixed Japanese and Egyptian hieroglyphs all rolled into one. The text was rolling down the screen in bright green. "'White circles were appearing around the symbols "'and boxes of text connected to them "'were running comparisons faster than any normal human eye could read. "'But the Dream Warriors eye was way faster "'and he could see the comparisons "'that were being drawn from languages available. "'As they were watching, the doors opened with a hiss "'and in-strode Selarelleth with a couple of saviours in tow. "'She strode up to the group and then looked around. "'Where's Matriarch?' she asked, and Ryan grinned at her. "'Patriarch Peter in training.' Hit her with a soul shock, so she's probably on her way. But I'm glad I'm not on that shuttle. Must be like sharing the cage with a Gowlof bear with a hangover. He said and South Earth laughed. Oh boy, I'm glad I'm not a hunter right now. You might have soul shocked her, but I'm betting all of them are feeling the after effects. Do you remember the last time you beat her like that? She asked. Paya do I. She drilled the whole hunter core into the ground for a week. Ryan said with a laugh. "'Your mother's a very competitive woman,' Jack said with a bit of a sly smile. "'Understatement of the week right there,' Sal rather said with a grin. "'Suddenly, as if her ears had been burning, "'Tick Aleth swept into the room, scowling like and "'had swapped her favourite morning woman tea for boiled vinegar again, "'during his prank-mom phase.' "'She looked at Jack, and the skull vanished, repulsed with a look of embarrassment. "'So what is it, my love?' she asked, looking into his eyes. You could see that she didn't resent him for beating her. It had been a fair and square victory. Didn't mean she be, wouldn't be pissed at losing, just only at herself. Looks like a distress call of some kind. Using some kind of hypervelocity transmission system that we've never seen before. It's in an alien language that we've never seen before either. According to the math of the sun skipper, the message travelled over 15 light years in only a few hours. So it's travelling at incredible speed. "'Personally, I think it's worth a look. "'At the very least, we may have the chance "'to make first contact with an alien species. "'So potential new allies. "'Especially if we aid them "'in whatever problem they've encountered. "'We'll have to be careful, though, "'as it could be a trap. "'There's a the potential for the species to be hostile. "'But I believe as a general rule, hostile "'hostiles don't send out distress calls,' "'Jack said. "'And that seemed to cheer Tick up immensely.' Time to take the dreamer out for a spin, as you women say, she said with a grin. Jack nodded. You've been looking for an excuse to take that thing out for an hour for a while, haven't you, my sweetest of all hearts? He teased, knowing full well that since they'd built it, all it had really done was sit in orbit of the planet like a silent guardian. It was the most powerful ship to have come from their shipyards, and they hoped the first of many. Given the work of Yoshi's Hive were putting in, it wouldn't be long before they had a whole fleet of them. No, they just needed the people to crew them. Okay, then let's do it. Contact Cortez and tell him I want a team of his best battle angels geared up and ready to go within the hour. Tell them to meet us at the Seeker training grounds. Sela, get together a team of saviours. I want combat engineers and technicians. Tick, get a, get Hunter 1 back together. Ryan, Annalise and Liam, you're with me. We're going to help these people, or at least try. Jack said, and the group split and began making calls on the other terminals. The seeker training ground was like the exact opposite of the hunter training ground. While well, the hunters looked like an advanced military training area with shooting ranges, fake towns and a whole host of other environments for the hunters to hone their battle skills in, a seeker that should be filled with monks silently praying, and sometimes it was. Every seeker was first and foremost a hunter. Jack saw to this. He ensured that every single one of them was trained in the combat arts before they got anywhere near the Seekers training grounds. They had to prove that they had what it took to be a soldier, a true warrior of clan mason. It was generally the rule among all of the forces, even the saviours. You were a guardian first, and everything else second. But the Seekers were trained very differently to the hunters When when they became Seekers. They had to learn to harness their abilities. And that took very specialised training, teaching them to harness the power of their spirit, to use it to reach out into the unknown world around them, to feel without feeling, to see without seeing, to truly connect with the universe and the other realms. And that's even before they got into their specialities, like becoming a soul knight or a tamer. For the most part, it was a very quiet, peaceful place. More like a temple than a training school kind of like the type you'd expect to see Shaolin monks or ninjas training in. You'd see seekers dressed in robes, practising martial arts or some deep in meditation, some floating around the ground silently, their power radiating from them in waves. Some communed with the honoured dead and others with plants and animals. The place was surrounded by lush jungle on all sides which bloomed with wild and wonderful plants and flowers and a rainbow of colours. Tended and managed by the tamers, Wild animals of all shapes and sizes wandered freely among the grounds and inside the walls, summoned there by the tamers. In fact, no sooner had their shuttle touched down in the grounds of the Seeker Temple than six fire tigers ran straight to Annalise, surrounding her in a crush of flame red fur and loud purring. Each one of them was three times her size and, and alone was a fearsome predator, but Annalise had raised them since they were cubs, after their parents were killed. The six lost, lonely and frightened cabs had heard her calling out to them through the ether and even though she'd felt their pain and despair bleeding through into her she had called them right to the temple where she immediately took them all in and raised them. Watching them with her one could easily be thought, fooled into thinking that they were giant house cats. I thought they would be instantly dispelled the moment you were stupid enough to raise your voice to her and find yourself pinned down by 600 pounds of furry muscle and teeth and that was just one of them. They'd kind of become the official mascots of the temple and were forever found around the place either training with the tamers or just lounging around in the gardens in the shade of the huge trees. Usually with Anna, Lee sat meditating right in the middle of them all. Ryan was forever commenting that she must have the patience level of a saint or the concentration of a Zen master because it must be incredibly difficult to levitate with 600 pounds of feline trying to clamber into your lap as you did. Though that being said... They were among the number that were six huge felines were utterly terrified of, and that was Jack and Ryan. Mainly because of the r- rule of nature. As big as bad as you were, there was always somebody bigger and badder. Like Julia Ryan's Talnak, which lived outside the temple, for example. There were a few things brave enough to take her on. She may be ten tons of solid muscles, scales and teeth. But watching her around Ryan, she was like a giant puppy. Jack, on the other hand, didn't need a giant pet steroid dinosaur... ...when he could simply tap into your mind and fill it with worn and adulterated fear with a simple look... ...let alone if he touched you and broke into your mind and flitted it with pain or something else debilitating, crippling you. There wasn't a single creature in the temple or around it that didn't recognise Jack as the alpha of alphas around here. Annalise brings Ed. We could probably use his skills... Ryan said, getting a nod of approval from his father as he said it. She turned to the biggest of the fire tigers, a huge 750-pound male with what appeared to be an odd Z pattern on the side of his fur, hence his name. She nodded and touched the huge fire tiger one at a time. The rest of the pack were instructed to protect the seekers while they were gone, and Zed was instructed to shadow her. He instantly fell in step to collect his armour. Suddenly a shape materialised out of the doorway of the temple already dressed in the full armour of the hunters shoulder casters primed and ready carrying a plasma rifle. There you are, I've been looking all over for you Shena said slinging her rifle onto her shoulder and embracing Ryan tightly as the player interlocked their mandibles for a kiss. I'm sorry my heart star, I've been training with my parents and then we got a priority call, I haven't stopped yet. We're on our way to the Dreamer right now, he said apologetically, and she nodded. Yes, I just got the call from the Grand Matriarch to gather Hunter Teams 1 and 2 and meet her there as well, she said. Teams 1 and 2 were the two best Hunter teams there were, and places among their number were highly coveted. Team 1 was led by Tick Elleth, and Team 2 was re- led by Ryan's wife, Shenna Blackcrest Mason. From the Temple and the other Hunters on Teams 1 and 2 emerged, 40 of the highest trained warriors that the clan had to offer, all in one place. Plus, given that the place was the sacred training grounds of the Seekers, they knew something big was on. Suddenly a huge form moved over them and Ryan looked up just in time to be licked from head to toe, snapping his helmet shut just in time to be f- prevent his face from being covered in saliva. Jack and Tick both chuckled. There were few things that could cause their son to lose focus enough that he failed to notice a ten-ton female talanac sneaking up on him. His wife was one of them. Ah, oh, for pious sake, Julia, seriously? He said, wiping gobs of thick vicious sliver off his armour and flicking it off him. The huge roid lizard gave him a huge toothy grin as she leaned over the twenty-foot-high wall, like she was leaning over a garden fence. Her head alone was bigger than the small group she would now focused her huge red eyes on. She looked like a cross between a dragon and a T-Rex that got into a case of steroids. A huge row of spine-like horns ran from the front of her long, blunt snout right down to the tip of her tail. Her arms were much, much smaller than her legs, but she had a lightning-fast grab, and many seekers had fallen victim to her sense of humour by being grabbed and scooped up before being tasted, and then deposited back down in their soaked robes in the middle of the gardens. She knew the pain of eternal torment that she must never harm any of the sentient life that calls this planet home, or any given sanctuary within the walls of the temple, like Annalise's fire tiger pack. A rule she stuck to like glue, and no one was under any illusions that the huge reptile would die to defend the place she called home, and all those who loved and cared for her, and called her friend. It was why they called her the sentinel, because no one got past her. Ryan reached out and touched the huge lizard's snout with one hand. Jack felt the buzz of power and saw Ryan's aura entwine and fold into Julia's. It always made him feel so proud that his son had discovered this side to dream warrior powers. That with the sheer force of will, and indeed love, a tamer could tune themselves to any creature's aura and make a vicious, relentless predator into a harmless loving friend. Next to Ryan... The second most powerful tamer was Annalise, and the pair made an incredible team. Just like a soul knight, they were never alone, as they had the power of the honoured dead. Tamers had the raw, relentless power of nature in their holster. Speaking of Annalise, she re-emerged from the temple with Zed now decked out in a specialised set of combat armour designed for a six-legged fire tiger. Trust Josh, he's saved to come up with something like that. It worked on exactly the same principle as their own powered armour. Only heads came with a saddle, which Annalise was currently making use of, riding him like a six legged killer horse with teeth bigger than most humans' forearms. All right, people, mount up, we're heading for the dreamer. We're briefly on the way, Dick yelled, and the hunter snapped to her attention a crisp salute, and headed for the shuttles. Julia faded back into the huge trees that surrounded the temple as silently as a wraith. Never failed to impress Jack that they were silently like a giant, scaly version of Tick, with a light slip. The whole group got aboard and strapped into their multi-species seats, which were designed to be comfortable for both humans, Yejuta, and even Xenos. Zed was sat next to his mistress, who hooked him into a special harness to prevent him becoming in 750 emergency manoeuvres, because there was nothing worse than taking a 750-pound pissed-off flying tiger to the face to really put a damper on your day. As they rose into the night sky, Tick handled the briefing. She informed them that this was a rescue and potential first contact mission, so it was safeties on unless there was undoubtable proof to threat of life. So unless fired upon, no shooting and no pointing weapons at anyone. The Seekers will handle contact. It'll, should it happen, as those making, don't speak your language. Understand. This is the realm of the tamers. Our job is to support and protect them. We'll have a team of battle angels on hand to render medical assistance to those who might need it. King Cortez has formed us on the way over. They already reported to the Dreamer and are already aboard waiting instruction, Tick explained. Do we know anything about what we're flying into, Grand Matriarch? Shenra asked, stroking her husband's armored hand with hers as they sat together and Tuck shook her head. Very little, other than that they appeared to be utterly incredible communications technology. But we've made little to no progress on deciphering the distress call itself, Tick replied. Forgive me, Grand Matriarch, but if we can't understand their language, how do we know it's indeed a distress call? One of her hunters, a human female called Leah, asked. Well, hunters would follow every given order, and would follow their leaders to certain death without a single regret or issue. They were taught from day one to ask questions. Information and understanding equals better decisions all round. Even as larger than life as tick was, she prided herself on being approachable. Well, as approachable as a nearly seven-foot issue to female who is clan matriarch and who has temper so legendary it makes every male Talnac in a five-square-mile radius wince every time she goes out hunting. Can be, really. We aren't 100% but according to our analysts, the repeating numerical sequence and transmission sources match up. So, it would be too much of a coincidence. It matches the pattern of a distress call, but even if it's not, at the very least we can have a chance to make first contact with a previously unknown alien species, and possibly offer them aid. So, with that in mind, first contact protocols apply, people. We didn't endure six months of Zeno screeching at each other and giving me a headache so bad I'll still get flashbacks to write up. And if I can do that, you guys can poking well and under- use them. Understand? Dick said, making Jack smile warmly. He had to adore watching his wife work. She only had to open her mouth in moments like this to warm his heart with pride. It was like watching a beautiful alien Amazon brimming with power and confidence. The words got a few chuckles from the gathered hunters in their bright golden armour marking them apart from their seeker counterparts, who wore a deep black and blue colour, which tinged with a bit of silver, as they were still wearing their orbital drop adapted suits. Now, while the hunters could operate in space, theirs hadn't exactly been adapted properly for orbital dropping or atmospheric flight yet, though plans were on the table to have them updated and upgraded. But given their nature, it was common sense to have the seekers test out the adaptable multi-environment combat armour first, if couldn't handle them or their abilities, then it would be pretty useless to them. Plus, the Hunter variant was more like an exosuit than the Seeker variant was. It had a reinforced frame to allow them to handle heavier weapons as well, as well as to handle multiple weapons at once. Theirs also had hardened shield emitters fitted so they could generate six-foot riot shields directly out of the forearm of either arm. The shuttle exited the planet's atmosphere and the vibrations through the hull stopped and everything grew very quiet, except for the breathing of everyone present cutting the air. Then Jack saw what they were looking at through the windows of the portholes. Sat that there in the orbital space dock that doubled as a space station, like a large disk, with a large, long, crawl-like protrusion on one side, in which was the dreamer. She's beautiful, isn't she? Jack said, looking at the long, sleek ship was shaped like a long arrowhead, sleek with a low profile. The bridge was a semicircular area at the centre that was raised up out of the hull. Technically it wasn't designed for atmospheric fight, but it was capable of it, and had been outfitted for it as a last resort. She was currently the most heavily armed ship that they had, outfitted to take on capital ships if need be. But it was designed with Jejuta capital ships and carriers in mind. But even if with It's far more advanced shielding, thanks to Yoshi's lot. If they got zeroed in a capital ship's plasma torpedoes and railguns, they were going to turn them into a large cloud of meaty chunks from floating Sharknall either way. Rather than dock with the station, the shuttle landed directly in the shuttle bay, located between the huge mass thrusters at the rear of the ship. The landing bay was filled with small single-seat fighters designed to defend the ship against enemy fighters, as well as to act like... Scouts and things like asteroid belts where the dreamer was too large to manoeuvre properly. Or at all, really. The ramp of the shuttle dropped as the engines powered down with a soft whine and a hiss. Everyone's dismissed until we reach our destination. I recommend you all get yourselves something to eat and some rest, Jack said, and the hunters and seekers saluted and began to separate out. Jack figured the whole group would head straight for the mess hall first. Oh, and Amelie's... Try to keep Zed on a short leash. Our hunter brethren and battle angels, not to mention the ship's crews aren't exactly used to having a seven hundred and fifty pound fire tiger wandering around. I don't want screeching Zenos running up and down the ship, okay? Ryan said, and she saluted her mentor and stroked the back of Zed's head, undoubtedly giving him silent instructions via their bond. The huge feline looked at her adoringly and Jack knew the feeling was mutual. He'd seen her training with the pack many, many times. He swore that girl had such control and respect with them that he could have made them dance if she tried. As the pair headed off towards the mess hall, Jack wished he could have seen the chef's face when he saw Zed walk in there. Feeding a 750-pound fire tiger must have been a hell of a challenge. Jack, Ryan, Shenna, Tick and Sel are all headed up to the bridge. Everything ready? Jack asked as the bridge crew with a mixture of human and zenos all snapped to attention. "'Yes, sir, we're ready to go, ship-shape and ready,' the human pilot said proudly. "'Well, then, time to take ourselves out of here, don't you think? "'Helmsman, set a course and take us out,' Jack said, "'and the pilot's face lit up with a bright smile that truly shone against his deep ebony skin. "'Sir, yes, sir,' he said, turning and dropping into his comfy-looking bridge seat. "'The other bridge crew returned to their stations.' Communication, weapons, engineering, sensors and analysis, stellar cartography. Each and every one had a station here on the bridge. Sella moved to the right side of the bridge to oversee her section, which, given most of the ship's crew was made up of saviours, was a hell of a lot. Ryan helped, headed over to help out with the communication team working on the message, while Jack and Tix stepped up to the raised platform in the middle of the circular room, which was filled with a mixture of screens and holographic displays. It was a pair of seats set side by side, like a pair of captain's chairs. Each of them had a series of displays and readouts all over them, so they had everything from the engine core temperature to radar and sensor displays at the click of a single button. Jack noticed Tick scowling at her displays and seemingly deliberately not looking at him. He got the feeling she was still a little sore from either losing or the soul shock or both. It was something he rarely used in their sparring because it was kind of a cheaty move because it was pretty much unavoidable. He got the feeling she was kind of pissed about getting a reminder of just how strong her husband actually was which was odd because she usually revelled in his strength so that, that, that left her being sore about losing the bet. He leaned over and stroked her predlocks with one hand enjoying the feel of the glass smooth, hot, fleshy tubes running through his fingers. "'Something wrong, my proud huntress?' he asked innocently, and she glanced at him and instantly saw it in her face. She made a huff noise, blowing out a huge sigh. She knew it was pointless to try and hide her feelings from him, and he knew that she would never lie to him. It was one of the absolute rules of their love. No lies about anything, ever. Truth and only truth. Even if it hurts, because they could work it out together. And lies just breed mistrust.' And that is a thought that neither of them could ever bear. That was their truest heart start, didn't trust them enough. I don't like losing, and I'm sore from whatever you hit me with. I've never seen a move like that before. What was it? Tick asked, obviously hoping to help figure out, to help her hunters away to counter it. And Jack cocked his head. "'I thought you enjoyed our little bouts in the bedroom and didn't mind losing to me,' he said soft enough that only she could hear him, and Tick's eyes widened and she shook her head rapidly. "'Oh no, I wasn't talking about that, my love. I'dly adore that kind of loss. Because it's you, and you and you alone are allowed to see me at my most vulnerable. I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about being beaten so completely in front of my hunters. It annoys me and makes me wonder if they still respect me as their leader.' she said softly and this made Jack smile because he knew that the only living being that Tick would ever open up to so completely and was him and he suddenly saw the source of her worries and he smiled. Jack gestured with his hand for her to lean closer and she raised her brow which while contained no eyebrows were no less expressive than her human equivalent. She did so and he placed her hand to the side of her head listened to them he said without moving his mouth. He reached out his mind to touch all of the minds all around them. At first it was like listening to a mind-numbing chorus of voices all speaking at once. It was one of the first things a dream warrior learned when becoming a seeker was to filter and shut out the noise. Filter it and sift through it like you were panning for gold. What she got was a rush of pride. Her eyes went as wide as pans as the voices finally filtered through. I can't believe I get to go on the mission on a mission with the Tick Elith. This is incredible. Oh wow, this is deep space. I'm going into deep space as part of Hunter 1. This is the best day of my life. These were a few among the comments that floated around their heads. And Tick looked at Jack in surprise when she heard the next ones. I can't believe those damn seekers took us down so easily. I let our grand matriarch down. I hope she's not angry with me. I love being part of this team. Gods above those Seekers are strong. No wonder our Grand Matriarch loves the Grand Patriarch. Where can I get me one of those? See, my love, not a single one of them cares that you lost. They blame themselves for letting you down, not the other way around. When in reality, none of you let the other down. We went in there fully intent on winning. So were you guys. We had the better plan that day. That's why the Seekers and the Hunters worked perfectly together. "'We prop each other up perfectly,' he said, and that made Tick smile. He could see her bright eyes that she finally felt better. "'What was it that you hit me with? "'When you touched me, it felt like, like my entire body refused to obey my commands, "'and it felt like you put lightning in my head. "'Like you'd put a lightning storm directly in my skull,' Tick said, rubbing her head. "'It's called a soul shock. "'Creating a storm in your head isn't a bad way of describing it, actually.' It overloads your aura and causes it to dump a lot of energy directly into your central nervous system, and it overloads it. Non-lethal, obviously, but also completely unavoidable. There's no defence against it. Technically, the seeker doesn't even actually have to touch you. Just get into your old radius and attune ours to yours. Carries a hell of a lot more energy stored in it because of what we are. So don't worry, my love. You didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing you could have done he said, and she smiled and leaned against his shoulder. ''I still don't like to lose. Next time I'll be ready,'' she said, and Jack laughed. ''That's my projentress. Wouldn't have you any other way,'' he said, stroking and kissing her head. Travelling that kind of distance, even with Yujuta hyperspace technology, where you could literally fold space and tie holes in it, it was still quite a leap, but eventually the dreamer arrived in the right sector.'' Report, Jack called and Ryan's head popped up from his monitors. I'm picking up a large mass, about 400,000 kilometres from our position. It's got to be a ship, he said. Are we close enough to get a look at her? Jack asked and Ryan pushed a few keys on his holographic display before another one lit up in the middle of the bridge, displaying a holographic representation of the space outside. Right in the centre of the glittering was a large ship. It was bigger than Dreamer by a fair bit, at least three or four times the size. It was long, about two kilometres in length. The main body of the ship seemed to be a long, thin tube-like structure, connected to the sides or appeared to be pods of some kind, like circular transport pods, shaped like metallic footballs. Jack instantly began to notice the gaps in the mass. There were twenty on each side, at least there should have been. There appeared to be six of them missing, four from one side and two from the other. At the back of the ship there were huge thrusters and a massive drive section, obviously hyperspace compatible. There were weapons ports dotted around the hull, but of a defensive nature rather than offensive. If he hazarded a guess, it looked like a cargo ship of some kind. I'm picking up damage to the hull and debris. Looks like they were attacked pirates maybe? Not sure if the debris is from this ship or whoever attacked them, though, Ryan said, his voice taking on a bit of a hard edge. Life signs? Tick asked, and Ryan shrugged. The hull appears to be made of a metal composite designed to scatter our sensors, so I really can't see inside or get any readings at all, probably to prevent anyone scanning their cargo. But we do at least know this is definitely the source of the distress call. We have back-traced it, and the symbols on the hull match the data from the transmission we got. Ryan said Hail them Let's see if we can find anyone to talk to over there Meanwhile move in closer And prime all the defensive systems Jack said And the pilot moved them into a closer range Not getting any responses to our hails Salareth called Hey look at this Looks like they were boarded forcibly Ryan said Planning the display until it came to a hatch That had burns all around it. it Appeared to have been cut open by some kind of torch Both Jack and Tick were instantly on alert and they looked at one another. Any response? Tick asked and Charlotte shook her head again. Tick looked at Jack. Take your team over. Seekers are better at locating life than we are. That having been said, I'll keep Hunter Team 1 here to protect the ship from possible attack. Take Team 2 with you. she said and Jack nodded. He pressed the intercom on his seat. Seekers and Hunter Team 2 gear up and meet me at the launch bay. "'We're boarding an alien ship,' Jack said into the comms before closing the channel. "'You sure you want to stay here and miss out on this?' he asked curiously and Tick pulled him into a deep, powerful meaningful kiss. "'Like you said, my love, we compliment each other. "'This time you get to search the creepy ghost ship, because if there's life out there you'll find it. "'Or my hunters will. And if not, only your guys can ask the dead what happened.' Meanwhile, we'll stay here and try and figure out who attacked them, where they went, and if they aren't just lying in wait to hit whoever shows up to help. Because aren't they going to get a surprise when they come in to hit a battlecruiser and a team of really porked-off hunters seeking vengeance for slain innocents? Dick said, and Jack stroked her head. All right then, see you soon, my love. Ryan, Sella, Shanna, we're up, so let's gear up and go, Jack said, and the group headed for the elevators. Jack flexed his arms and rolled his shoulders. His shoulder-mounted plasma casters whirled and clicked, standing up on their gimbals, automatically calibrating and aligning to where he was looking, adjusting to ensure that neither was pointed at his head or even close to it. Then they reset and connected back into their holsters, locking up as they did. Jack tapped behind his head to check his sword was in its scabbard securely, before finally checking in on his Omni-rifle. He was one of the only one of the thing, ones to carry this particular weapon, as there were only currently three of them in existence, and Jack and Tick had two of them. The other was in the hands of Shenna, which, given she was one of the mar- best markswomen ma- marks of the hunters, made sense. These weapons were designed to combat most types of shielding or armour, firing compressed plasma or railgun rounds, even low-velocity ballistics. Made them a fair bit heavier than their standard plasma weapons, but it made them far more co- effective at combating a variety of opponents at a variety of ranges. For example, over long ranges, the railgun sleds were more effective. At short range, you could either use the ballistic hollowpoint rounds or plasma, depending on the target whether it was shielded or not. But as the weapons were actually untested properly in combat situations yet. Yoshi's Hive created a couple of them for use in field testing situations and this seemed like the perfect time. The elevator doors opened into the shuttle bay with a whoosh and they stepped out to find the team standing in front of one of the shuttles. Twenty hunters stood in front of it in two lines of ten checking their weapons until their commander appeared and they all snapped to attention. By contrast, the other two seekers, Annalise and Liam were stood fussing over Zed. All right, guys, we're boarding an alien ship without invitation. But indications are that they've been attacked, possibly by pirates. This is a mission of mercy. We're there to render aid to any need needed. Hence why, Jack said as he was speaking, four battle angels appeared dressed in their bright white and pink battle armour. Might be eye-catching, but it was designed to mark them as field medics. All known military laws preventing the target of medics in the fields as their job was to save life. Though given that they were xenomorphs, they were far from defenceless. And each of them had been trained extensively with the hunters before they could even become a battle angel. That, and they were armed. They snapped to a crisp formation, their faces hidden behind their helmets' faceplates. Well, yes, as I was saying, we're there to find out what happened, who these people are, and to help and render aid if we can. So do me a favour... Don't point weapons at anything unless you see there's a direct threat to life. Example, they aim and shoot at you. But that have not been said. Keep your shoulder cannons primed. Hustle up and load up, Jack said, and the group including one now giant and armed fire tiger who was wearing a speci- specially designed suit, all loaded into the shuttle. Jack actually remembered the first time he'd been made to put it on so he could operate in a vacuum like them. It was like watching a house cat trying to walk in high-heeled shoes. The flight from the Dreamer was to the alien ship was short. They opted to use the same cut-open hatch that had seen cut open, and they locked a docking seal over it. There's no atmosphere beyond the seal. I'm not exactly not exactly sure how far the vacuum extends, but I'm picking up sealed bulkheads further ahead. But that should allow us to stabilise the atmosphere into the vented airlock pilot said jack gave her a thumbs up magnetic boots, people and a uh, pause if there's vacuum beyond the further bulkheads i don't want anybody flying off into the compartments especially not confused fire tigers jack said and everyone looked at their wrist comp and did so with annalise activating Zed's magnetic pause the group moved forward into the dark airlock activating their night vision as they went Beyond the cut outer hatch, the inner hatch hadn't actually been cut. It had been cracked open with a hacking tool of some kind. And they could see an open panel and exposed circuits just to the right of the circular windlass door. Max? Shenras looking over her shoulder and one of the human team members. On it boss. He said stepping forward and hooking his wrist comp into the locks. Now this wasn't going to be easy to the computer systems literally had nothing in common. So it was going to be using electric signals to try and either bypass the locking mechanism or overload it. Got it, Mark said, and there was a series of clicks and followed by a loud long hiss, which a good sign because it showed at least there was atmosphere. And very slowly, the door began to open, granting them access to the alien ship beyond it. Ah, so that was chapter three, ladies and gentlemen. But what secrets would the mysterious alien ship hold? Will there be survivors? Is it a pirate ambush? What will they find on that dead ghost ship in space? Only going to be one way to find out the answers to those questions, and so many more. Going to have to tune in next time.